Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Sydney's lost, we're surrounded, and we're suffering unsustainable casualties. There's something else. Over the past few weeks, I've encountered sources that all speak of some event. Rainfall. Find out what this rainfall thing is? Fall back to me. I will go too. I've seen you fight. You're keeping something from me. I am a soldier, Matthew. Just like you. What are they doing? Preparing for war, eh? A technology integrated with ours. It's a beautiful thing. I've been in from this war long enough. I'm going to make sure you complete your mission. You are surrounded. You cannot win. Oh, that's not good. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 319. Releasing today, January 28, in cinemas across Australia is Occupation Rainfall, the sequel to the 2018 film Occupation, in which a ragtag group of misfits battle against alien invaders in country New South Wales. Two years on, the war has escalated, as the human resistance and their unlikely allies uncover a plot that can see the war come to a decisive end. A big action sci-fi spectacle of immersive craft, Occupation Rainfall again reminds of the skill, ingenuity, and rich imagination that can be found in Australian genre filmmaking, with director Luke Spark leading a new charge of filmmakers, continuing the proud tradition of Aussie-made genre movies that the likes of George Miller and Alex Proyas established years ago. And joining me now for the third time on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is the director of Occupation Rainfall, Luke Spark. Luke, I thank you very much for joining me today. That's okay. Happy to be here. So the last time you and I spoke on this podcast was on the eve of when the first Occupation film was to be released. And when I was was listening back to the interview, it was really interesting in that in that interview, you were telling me that pre-production on Rainfall had already begun. In fact, you you said you were sitting in your office, you're surrounded by storyboards, you were in the first week of pre-production. And here we are now, two years later, the film's out in cinemas. I got to ask, what's it been like for you these last couple of years? Because... With every film that you've done since Red Billabong onwards, the films have become bigger, budgets have become bigger, interest in it have become bigger as well. So what's it been like for you in the last two years making uh, this movie, which by far is is the biggest thing that you've uh, put your name to? Yeah, uh, that's a pretty loaded question. But um, look, many different facets. Like doing this film was the hardest thing I've probably ever done and looking here as well has probably ever done. Um, we came up against pretty much every hurdle you could possibly come up against. We were trying to make, you know, a massive, massive feeling sci-fi film, you know, independently. Um, all these different problems and then with problems come solutions, but all that has to be worked out on a day-to-day basis. So it's been the most challenging two, three years of my, of my life. Um, I can say that much. Let's talk about the film uh, as a whole. It's a continuation of the first movie. It is set two years later, 
And many things have happened in that time with these characters. And you can tell just by revisiting these characters again, they've, they've gone through, you know, many different experiences and there's an evolution in the characters too. The first character I want to talk about is Matt Simmons, who's played by Dan Ewing. And Dan Ewing, this is his third movie I've uh, done with him. Um, the first time we see him in the first Occupation film, he goes through a transition and he's gone through a transition again. He's much more of a kind of like a hardened soldier now, um, battle-scarred, weary, grisly, still has some of that kind of uh, spunk and attitude t- towards him, but much more, I think, when I, when I watch him, I, I think he's much more kind of like in the almost the Mad, Mel- Max, Mad Max kind of realm. He's even got that kind of sort of shotgun as well to go with it. When you're dealing with these characters in their evolution, um, do you have backstories written as to what's happened within the last two years, and do your actors kind of contribute to that as well? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, with each character, I have to really dive into their backstory, and uh, and then send that to the actors, and then, then we'll get together and talk about what they think. Um, but yeah, each character does. You know, we do have to make sure that as a unique, or as much as I can in a film like this, a, a unique point of view and a unique backstory for each character. And and you're right, Matt. Matt's character, you know, went through a little transition in the first movie. Um, really wanted to you know, use him as a as a device. To really have a you know drive home the uh, the alien war and uh, what he thinks of of the aliens and and what they think of him and all that kind of stuff. And there's an interesting kind of uh, plot twist to this all in that in sort of a way there. Occupation Rainfall is kind of almost kind of like a, a buddy comedy kind of film as well. And what I mean by that is that you have Matt's character he kind of teams up with an alien ally by the name of Gary. Um, and he's played by Lawrence uh, McCauley, and he's been in films like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. He's really great in doing that kind of um, practical creature feature acting kind of work that he does in this film. Um, you know, you've given more screen times to, to the aliens in this movie. Um, when you deal with those kind of characters as well, um, how do you approach kind of like their motivations and, and such as well? Is there a backstory for them as, as well in this film? Yeah, there's a huge backstory for the aliens, and I keep trying to, you know, put little bits of pieces and breadcrumbs out there every every time I go and look at doing an occupation film. This one definitely much more than the first one, and even on set, you know, we've upgraded and made sure our aliens are much more realistic and much more sort of photo, you know, photo realistic with the actors and, and the cast compared to the first movie. Um, but yeah, each character again has a backstory. I I know, obviously, being the creator, I know. Where they're from and, and and the different moons that they might live on and the different species and i have to dive into into all that but i didn't want to get bogged down too much exposition and have to stand there and explain mm. every single character and every single different species just like you know great movies like star wars or you know, other films, you know they're just it's just there it's just they're just they're living in the world it's world world building and that's that's i'm very interested in in the, in the world building aspect of, of making movies um, so yeah, that's that's where the aliens um, <clears throat> that's where the aliens backstory comes into it. When it comes to how the aliens are presented, how much of it is practical offense? How how much of it is CGI? Is Lawrence actually walking around with the alien mask on him, and then later in post, you kind of add like little dimensions to it? Yep, yep. Uh, with Lawrence, there's times where he's wearing their practical masks, and we're adding dimensions to it. There's times where he's wearing the mask and it was all done practically and there's times where he was on set with dots on his face and we did mocap and we had to blend all those three together to try to make it as seamless as we possibly could. 
Another element to the film re relates to the dynamics of war, the ethics and rules of engagement with the enemy. Um, and sometimes in that, the good guys do bad things. And I really like that about the film. I kind of, I found it grounds the film. It gives it kind of real world stakes. And before you did Red Billabong, you did uh, like work kind of like in um, documentary kind of style work, especially in kind of like World War One era, um, uh, the era of World War One. How much, um, how many stories and such did you take from that era of, of wartime and place it into your own screenplay, especially in regards to, you know, war, the ethics of war and the consequences of those ethics? Yeah, yeah. I mean, thank you for picking up on that. And there was a a big point that, that I worked with, as you pointed out, I am, you know, I do have a background in military history um, more, more often than not, and it's something that really interests me, and I'm a big uh, big history buff, and I'm always reading up on um, uh, from different aspects of World War One, World War Two, the back, and tried to mix that in to make, as you pointed out, military, because, I mean, and, and uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of, of our military as well. I'm not trying to put them down at all because yes. I've got characters in there that, that obviously do take different sides. There's the military and there's the Air Force, but everyone has their own different uh, opinion. Um, because, like, look at what's, I mean, look at even just the past. Like, you wouldn't think, of, of course, people would do experimentations on aliens. Of course, they would try to, you know, just wipe them out. I mean, you've got these crazy characters, like these Vox that they ride on across the country, and later on you see them in these horrible pens getting, you know, getting mutilated and whatever, of course that would happen. Like, I think people would be, I think at this point in time in, in human history, I think we would be pretty naive to think that someone wouldn't try to do something like that. Um, there's all these amazing animals that we've wiped out for the last couple of hundred years as well. So um, all that was pretty important to me to try to ground it because I was trying to think, from again, from different characters' point of views. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, a big part of the film is I looked at World War II and if, you know, yes, we had a nuclear weapon that, you know, ended the war in Japan, but if someone had developed a, a weapon that said we could wipe out all Japanese people or German people to mm. wipe them out forever, uh, you know, I think that would be a much more, you know, horrible consequence because I don't think, I don't think our armed forces or people or humanity would, would, would go for that because it's not, just because Hitler was a dictator doesn't mean that there was millions of Germans that didn't agree with him. Yeah. Um, so I really sort of leaned on that um, aspect when it came to the aliens and how they're going to try to, you know, evolve into our society. The film, of course, is bigger in size and in scope, and because of that, there's opportunity to bring in new tech in the mix. I mean, that the scenes of with alien battleships and different weaponry and hardware, I just absolutely love that kind of stuff. How do you come up with the designs for this? Do you do you have you? Uh, do you come up with this stuff on your own? Do you have a scrapbook of ideas that you've compiled over the years? Do you work with other people? How do you get all that kind of ideas um, on the page and then onto the screen? Uh, well, luckily for me, a lot of you know, um, we're working independently. One big aspect that does allow me to evolve my stories as I go. There's no like set structure of this is where you're going to begin the film and this is where you're going to end the film and we know exactly what's going to happen throughout the process of the next two years and there's, there's your funding and go. I was able to... Um, you know, sit back and once edited the film, sit back and sort of watch it a million times over and come up with different shots that I might, uh, as you pointed out, new ships, new tech here and there. I would, I do have a scrapbook. I would sketch uh, all these different designs myself and then I would pass that on to uh, concept artists and our you know, visual effects people and then they would come up with something even better 
And uh, I'm very collaborative when it comes to situations like that. I just come up with ideas and, and I have a great you know, team around me that can help build those those ideas. But again, world building is something that's interesting to me. So we're adding things in, we're adding things in even two weeks before we had to deliver the film to cinemas. So I was mm. using every single moment I possibly could to cram as much interesting stuff I could in there. It's really interesting how there's one brand of alien soldier it almost seemed to me kind of like almost like an imperial guard uh kind of soldier um to use a star wars reference and, and the really cool thing with them is that they have these swords um i won't call it a lightsaber because it's not that <laughs> but clearly there is definitely like that kind of influence there because i know you're a huge star wars fan yeah yeah i'm like and not to take away anything from this film but um yeah, I may never get a chance to direct a Star Wars film. I would love to. And always in the back of my mind every day was like, this might be your only chance to do a big sci-fi film. So do it the best you can and do it whatever you think you would like to play with and what you think other people would like to see. And um, that was my mantra every day on set. And so, yeah, there's, there's obviously influences, but I think I took a lot of influence as well from Samurai Warriors and, and stuff here on Earth as well. It just happens to be that lightsabers are the most go-to recognisable thing probably film history. Um, but, yeah. yeah, but it turns into axes, and, and I want to continue that as well. If I do get another one of these movies, I'd like to try to bring in more tech. And the tech, and it looks, it looks fantastic as well. And i got to come up with the next question. I imagine the post-production process on this film will have been a massive undertaking. Um, the visual effects shots, or, or the sound effects especially, absolutely terrific. I absolutely loved it all. It really sucks you into this world um, that you built Post-production-wise, how big of an undertaking was was this? Uh, and for you, going into this post-production process in this film and uh, having finished it up now, what are the biggest lessons you kind of learn into that type of filmmaking process? Oh, my God. Um, that's a big question. I've, I've learned a lot. And because we were so, because we're so understaffed being an independent film, I really had to basically learn every aspect of post-production, which some directors don't have to do because you have a team, you walk in, like even on Red Billabong, my very first film, we had a post company that did that for us and I'd just walk in there and I'd sit and watch the edit, give my notes and then walk out and they would then spend weeks doing things behind the scenes that I didn't need to know about to make it to the screens. Um, this time I had was forced with our budget restrictions to do everything myself. Mm. Um, so I had to do the edit but also had to then do like, offline edits and online edits and how to compile edits to send to our sound team and how to, you know, all these different facets. I've never had anything experience in my life and I had to like learn it all myself as I went along. And it was me and my visual effects supervisor, Alex Beckinsall, sitting here in our office and all of this stuff and we were learning as we went. And then we got the visual effects supervisors in to talk to us in Sydney and doing remotely during COVID. And they would obviously be really helpful and tell us, oh, you should do this and do that. And I think it's great that they're, they're willing to, to help. And I was just up front and just said, look, guys, I've never done this aspect before. So you just have to talk, talk me through it. And they did. Um, and, uh, you know, but luckily those, those teams were so prepared on their own end that they were able to help us and, and snap into it. And, yes, you're, you're right, the sound design done by Chris Goods, who actually did the sound design for the dry, Penrun Bloom, and High Ground, and they're all coming out in January along with this film. So yeah. he's kind of stoked that he's got a, a massive lineup of his films. But yes, we worked together probably for the last year, just on and off, and then a big, big chunk in the middle of it. But this last year, um, just sending each other clips and sounds of things we liked, and just came up with these cool concepts. So that was a real fun aspect of it. 
you know, to having talked to you over the years in your different films, it really seems to me your evolution of a filmmaker has just grown and grown and grown. Um, hopefully there will be another occupation film to follow this one. Now that you've learned so much from this film, especially in the post-production process and working on a bigger budget, bigger scope, bigger size, um, how much more confident are you now in that um, uh, type of filmmaking where hopefully it comes to the next chapter of your story? Yeah, look, I am I'm super ready for it. Um, I, I'm super confident now knowing knowing all the process and knowing from A to B. I mean, I'm even I'm even the guy cutting the trailers and cutting the TV ads and working with the companies to do billboards on the side of the road because we don't have anyone else here. So I've even learned, I've learned all the aspects up until the release day. So I kind of know the whole thing now from where to go. So uh, I'm ready to go on the next one. I'm super confident and um, I can fit into it and really sort of um, take everything from the last two films and, and two occupation films and Billabon and uh, really apply it to hit the next one even higher. You know, the first time we spoke when it came to Red Billabong, you were talking about the struggle to get Australian genre films in cinemas. And, you know, now we're in kind of like in a different situation now because of the whole COVID situation and the opening and closing of cinemas. Now the game is to get people back in cinemas and you can tell that people are just ready for that. Um, films like The Dry and Penguin Bloom, both Australian uh, made films, both rocketing to the top of the Australian uh, box office. People are ready to watch Aussie films. Your film, however, gives them an opportunity to see a different type of movie. Blockbusters haven't been in the cinemas for a long time. You're going to give them an opportunity to see something big, spectacular, and above all, Australian-made as well. Um, how confident are you in the release of this film? Because I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people are waiting for a film like this. They're waiting for an experience like this in the cinema, and I think they're really going to gobble up and have fun with this movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope you're right. It's it's a hard question to ask any filmmaker what's going to happen, especially day one of release. Like, I haven't slept in two days. Um, I'm so nervous about the whole situation because, like, you're right, it's a whole different experience, a whole different time. This COVID thing has got huge opportunities. Would this film have, have got this big of a release without COVID? I don't know. I think the film stands on its, on its own two legs, but it definitely provides an opportunity now with COVID to have like over 200 cinemas um, for this sort of film, I think is is, is a great opportunity. Um, I just really don't know if people are going to turn up or not. I really hope they do, obviously. So for everyone out there listening, Occupation Rainfall in Australian cinemas right now, I highly, highly recommend you check out this movie. Big, spectacular sci-fi action filmmaking. It's a kind of movie that we've been, you know, just absent from for such a long time in cinemas it's time to get back into the cinemas it's time to um, also support Australian filmmakers and this is a movie for it and Luke Spark I thank you very much again for your time third time on the show I'm such a big fan and champion of your work in your films and I thank you again for your time today thank you man I appreciate it